0: I think we all know uh, Arnie Duncan, Secretary Duncan, he gets mad I think when I call him Secretary, but Arnie Duncan, um, Arnie's been the the Secretary uh, of Education, Um, I'd like to argue he he enjoyed his time here in Chicago more uh, as the head of uh, Chicago Public Schools, Uh, and now what he's doing, it it seems like he's more fulfilled than he's ever been in his life, uh, working with CRED. Uh, and the, the Emerson Collective, and, and so many others. Um, Arnie's a brilliant man. He's a public servant who, who now in the private nonprofit world has has stepped up to yet a whole, uh, a whole new level. Um, I'm going to not mention. We have the other panelists that are going to join, but 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 I believe what I'd like to do is ask Arnie um, and Chris and Jim. Um, oh, and where did? Oh, Where's Jalen? Okay, okay. Come on. I'm going to ask you all to come up, um, and and then I will um, ask Arnie to actually introduce a couple of special guests, um, and, and, and then each of you. And please, if you have questions, we have a whole host of questions here that have been pre-submitted. Um, please, if you have questions, we, we do want to get to some of them. Write them down on your table. There are sheets. And if you have just raise your hand up we'll come and collect them amanda's here and be myself uh we'll get them up to the front and get them up to arnie later um so arnie i'm going to hand it over to you and uh thank you again all for being here at city club thank you so much
1: thank you so much i'll pull a, a little bit of an audible here quickly and then we'll get on with the panel but it's, uh, I don't want to get up here and start start getting emotional, but it's a tough tough weekend here in the city. And uh, meeting on a Monday, we had, we had four killed, we had 25 shot. Sort of can't normalize these things in the city, but it seems like it is far, far too many weekends. And every single one of those people shot or killed have family, they have children, they have mothers, they have fathers, they have brothers, they have sisters. And every single one of those just... The trauma reverberates in our communities and doesn't, um, unless we do something to intervene and change it, um, mm-hmm. it just, trauma leads to more trauma. And so we, we have to collectively, and we have an extraordinary panel I want to get to momentarily to work on it, but one of those four killed this weekend, unfortunately, was Officer Preston. And she works out of the district that we work very, very closely with on the south side. Uh, 25-year-old young woman, uh, just graduated with a master's degree, was supposed to walk next next weekend um, at, La- at Loyola University to receive receive that diploma. And to spend time Saturday, she was killed Friday night, to spend time Saturday at the police station with all of those officers, it, um, it both breaks your heart, but it was actually extraordinary to witness how much as they grieve and try and process, they take care of each other. And we know they're good police and bad police and good lawyers and bad lawyers and good everything and bad everything but there are some extraordinary men and and women in the police force who literally risk their lives every single day to to try and protect us. And she was... Officer Preston was literally just getting off her shift, returning home and guys approached her, if you listen to video she says i don't have anything on me and that unfortunately doesn't stop them and three 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 folks kill her and it's just sort of as, as simple as that but i wanted to bring up just quickly uh sergeant williams who spoke here with us a couple of years ago um, for me she's the model of what a police man and woman should be she will lock you up in a heartbeat if she needs to but she would much rather refer men and women into our, our program, which she does all the time. She literally goes on home visits with me to bring people into Cred rather than doing something else out. And to see the compassion she had for Officer Preston's partner, who's a young man who's just destroyed now, to see her taking care of him, to listen to her talking to her mother, it's just a—it's remarkable. It's a, you know, We live in this very unnatural world where we have to work while we grieve, it's not really time to grieve. So I wanted to bring up Sergeant Williams and Officer Lee, who was very, very close with Officer Preston. These are some of our young, young finest who are trying to help out, just to say a few words. You want, okay.
2: Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, it is very difficult um, to even speak. Um, Officer Preston was 24 years old. Like Arnie said, she just earned a master's degree at 24. Comes from a wonderful family became a police officer, Um, did everything right. She's um, the model human being. She, She got her education. She had no children. She was not married. She worked 10 hours and then simply went home. I see nothing that she did wrong. She drove home up Stony Island. And when she got to her home and got out of her car, um, there were some individuals who wanted to take things from her. So they decided that they would pull a gun, take things. From what we know, Officer Preston was able to get off a couple of rounds. She fought. She was a fighter. She she fought to be a good person. She fought to do things right. She fought to help this community. She gave her all. She was always at work. Never created any problems for the department. Uh, I can't think of her, her not having a smile. The only thing I you know, can just say every time I saw her, her thing was with this really high-pitched voice. Hey, Sarge! <laughs> every time you saw her, she would come into our office and she would speak. Um, Officer Lee uh, has a boxing program, and a couple of officers told me that Officer Lee was doing like a boxing clinic on his own time. So I went to the commander, and I said, I need this kid in my office because I need this type of discipline in the office with young people throughout the community. So he was in the office one day, and he the, the first day I talked with him about it, he asked me if he could do a boxing clinic and take some of our children from Argyle Gardens. So we got a bus, and he took to a 23, 23 children from Argyle Gardens to a boxing clinic. He has since started a boxing clinic within the 5th District in um, Gately Stadium and Argyle Gardens. He's going to be working with uh, both of those communities with helping to teach the children some discipline. And, um, you know, they're going to hang out with the police He took several children to um, the St. Jude's Parade yesterday, and then they came back, St. Jude's March, and then they came back and they had breakfast with us. So he's bringing the children from the community into the police department, the police station, so they become police youth explorers and they learn to, uh, you know, see the other side of what uh, the media paints the police as. If the media would have just done a story on, Officer Ariana Preston, they would have been able to say, here she is, a 24-year-old young lady graduating from Loyola, doing everything right, great kid. But the story that we have to do on Ariana Preston now is great kid, great police officer, slayed in the- <coughs> sorry, gunned down on the streets of Chicago – you got a grieving family. We went over yesterday, we took food to the family. Some more relatives just came in, so me and Officer Lee are gonna go back over to commanders with them now and we're gonna um take more food over to the family. We're having um a peace vi- uh a prayer visual tomorrow for officer um Preston at the Fifth District, uh at six PM. Mom said, No media please. She said, I just want to be there with her friends. So we're having this prayer vigil for Officer Preston tomorrow. This shouldn't be. This this, this should, I shouldn't be standing here talking about a 24-year-old young lady who did everything right, and you know, and then you know, someone who maybe didn't have opportunities, maybe um, weren't parented correctly. I, I don't. I don't know what brought them to that point. But there's got to be something different. There's got to be a change. There, there has to be, for Ariana, there has to be a change. So, I mean, I, I would just appreciate anything you guys can do to help us make a change. This, this is who we are. We're police officers. That's, that's just the job we do. I mean, we still are human. We still have families. We still want to go home. You know, we, 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 we celebrate Mother's Day and Father's Day and Christmas we are professionals as police officers, but we are mothers. We are fathers. We are grandparents. It's not right. How do we fix it? I don't know. But I want to be a part of the fixing. Okay.
3: Thank you for that, Um, so I'm Officer Lee, Fifth District. I actually had the pleasure of working with Preston um, quite often, I'm not her official partner, but when we we used to ride in the car, one thing she would always say, I asked her like, why did you want to become the police? And she said, "Um, this was really not in the plan she was gonna go to law school, but she said, I actually wanted to be in the field to know what, you know, a lot of people are attorneys, but they don't really know what it is to be out there. So, when she said that, I was like, "Wow, you know, she had, she brave to actually put her life on the line and, you know, want to know the ins and outs of it." So, um, but every day she would just come in like really upbeat, um, really beautiful. You know, spirit was pure, um, fun, joked a lot. So. you know shift was never boring you know stay laughing Um, going into these um, you know high tension um, calls that we go to you know you never know what you expect and um, just to have somebody that was positive and you know kept a smile on the face it just it made the job go it made the day go by easier you know so I just want to say you know thank you for the support um, keep her families in prayers, and you know, we definitely gonna get through this. So, thank you. That's it. Thank, you. A it. thank you. Thank you. Thank
2: you. Thank you.
4: There, so hey. thank, you. thank you. Thank you. Thank you.
1: appreciate everyone giving us those couple moments and we, uh, for better or worse, live in the real world and this is very, very real world, so for me it would have been unnatural not to not to hear from them and give them a moment to to state what they're they're working through and dealing with. So we'll just jump into the conversation, we'll just sort of go right down the line and we'll get into strategies and policies and goals, but for all of us this work is very personal, but probably for very different reasons, so I just want to start, and Chris, I'll start with you, it's just you know, why do you do this work? I and mean, I'll ask the same question of, of, of Jim and then Jalen. Why, why is this work so important to you? Well,
4: part of the... Well, good, after, good morning or afternoon, afternoon. everyone. <laughs> um, and thank you for both of you presenting on behalf of, you know, our fallen officer. So on a day-to-day basis, we all hear about the news and we see it. Um, for some of us, it impacts us a little closer than others, uh, but it impacts all of us nonetheless, Um, I have the fortunate privilege of being someone who has a lived experience, a survivor of gun violence, um, someone who was formerly incarcerated, parents with addictions, uh, and then I've also had the the extreme pleasure of working in this field along men and women who are saving lives on a day-to-day basis, often uh, not known or unforgotten. The the capes are tucked inside their, their outreach uniforms. Um, And so I've seen lives being saved. Uh, We'll talk a little bit more about the programming that we're um, supporting through the state. Mm -hmm. And to be appointed um, in 2021 by Governor Pritzker to create the Office of Firearm Violence Prevention was was an incredible privilege to stand up in office for the first time in the state's history that would address firearm violence. So taking and coupling my lived experience, my career, my professional experience to save lives. And I think... Most of us in this room, and if not all of us in this room, in our own way, I want to see that same goal and objective. So I uh, thanks for having us here.
1: Thanks. Same question,
5: Jim. Ernie, um, thanks. And I, I share Chris's uh, thanks to all of you for being here. Um, so my grandfather's parents were the immigrants. He, he came to the United States when he was three years old. And in Chicago in 1919, he founded what was the the anchor of our family business. So we have been here for well over 100 years. And very early on, he he was brilliant, but he was also fortunate. Uh, And good luck and and his own hard work with his brothers created a great deal of success. Uh, I am the third generation as a grandson and uh, we we have uh, lots of kids the next generation down. And we are just so incredibly fortunate to have been part of a country and a city that has enabled that success, that opportunity, <clears throat> the, the, the wonderful things that, that we have enjoyed in our life. But early on, my grandfather and his brothers, followed by my father and his family, and, and then now us, understand the importance of giving back and understand the importance of a complete ecosystem. It isn't just where you live or just where you work that defines the environment you're in. It's much bigger than that. And having those learnings, having that understanding, and having, frankly, the opportunities we have had uh, has, has just been a very strong ethos and motivation in my family for over 100 years.
6: Thanks. Jeff? Sure, yeah. Good, good afternoon, and may you all have peace. Uh, similar to Chris, I um, have personal experiences with violence at an early age. I was actually a minor charge as an adult, was facing life in prison, and um, and really received a blessing from the Most High to, to come out from under that after uh, serving several years in prison. And so, uh, for me, it's personal. I um, have had an opportunity over the last couple of decades, um, setting up violence reduction programs nationally and internationally, and the work that I'm doing with CRED right now, and the, and the partners across The city is about taking care of home, Chicago.
1: Got it. Thanks. And what we're trying to do is this. This work is the most inspiring thing I've ever done, and the most meaningful. I think, but also the most heartbreaking, the most difficult. And if if it does nothing, it it, it humbles you. And I think you all we all realize you can't do this by yourself. So we're trying to do is build these collaborative efforts as much as we can across every sector, and that hopefully our collective efforts will help Chicago get to a better, better place. So to have the state represented here, the business community, and the nonprofit sectors, that's just you know part of the, the team we're trying to build here. And, Chris, it's interesting, you know, here in Chicago and across the country, we have always heavily invested in people that are at risk. It's just been called prison. That's, 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 that's right. been our investment. That's 50 grand, 70 grand. You would have done that forever. And you're a big proponent for investing in the most at risk but, with a slightly different <laughs> goal and, and uh, an outcome on the prevention side, and why is it so important to you that we don't just lock folks up and throw away the key?
4: Uh, for several reasons: <laughs> one, folks are redeemable, right, and then to the very least you see two examples of that here. and it 's and it's often hard, and what happens unfortunately, for too many families, particularly black and brown, you're judged extremely for your your absolute worst day and, and you can have several worst days right? Our, our society is set up in a way in which it is not necessarily fair so with that being said when someone is trapped in a cycle of violence the question is again where does the investment come up until recently very recently the only answer has always been incarceration and it's an unfair um, component that we put on law enforcement it's not you know social equitable uh, and it doesn't necessarily fix the problem Um, And so now, you know, being in the state, being in the seat, you know, my objective and the governor's priority was always how do we get as aggressive as we can, uh, push the envelope, support those who are trapped in the cycle of violence. We'll hear a little bit about a program, you know, I kind of alluded to it just a second ago, um, that is directly investing in individuals who are trapped in the cycle of violence. Those individuals. Who are standing on corners, who may not be employed at the moment, who are not engaged in school. um, We have to give those opportunities, those individuals, an opportunity to get off that highway, right? It's an off ramp, uh, as my analogy. And so, um, you know, that's our priority here in the state, you know, speaking on my behalf, but then understanding the objective that the governor has set before us to do that, make that happen.
1: Thanks. And Jim, correct me if I'm wrong, but my, my general sense is that the business community has generally historically thought this really wasn't their issue. This was like the police's issue to solve or the public sector government's issue to solve. And that, uh, for better or worse, I think for better, that's changed. But walk me through historically what was the business, set, business community's mentality on this. And obviously now you're chairing a committee on public safety for the civic committee. So the business community stepping up. You're stepping up to lead the business community. But where was the business community's mindset, and where is it today?
5: Um, yeah, so, so first of all, I've, I've got to be careful generalizing the business community. You know, it'd be like generalizing, you know, Democrats. or yep, yep. Uh, You know, so, uh, but I, I think the overarching, the, the, the predominant sentiment uh, was may, maybe on display at a meeting that you spoke at last June. Uh, along with Jens Ludwig of the Crime Lab at University of Chicago, that was largely business leaders that we convened to talk about what's our role, what are we going to do about this? And a number of hands went in the air from these are CEOs of important companies in Chicago, saying um, some people were saying, you know, isn't that really the government's job? We don't have policing authority, we don't have criminal justice authority. Um, and other people were saying, to use your analogy, what's my on-ramp? What's my handle? How do I do this? I, I know how to fund a scholarship program. I know how to give money to the Greater Chicago Food Depository. How, how do you participate in a public safety conversation? And that was really the, um, that question, that challenge, was what got Derek Douglas and the Civic Committee group to realize that the uh, business community was largely absent. Maybe some for cynical reasons, others maybe for just the, the the lack of understanding what they might do. But ever since then, we've been quite devoted to learning, understanding our place at the table, and trying to show up.
1: Yeah. No, thank you. And there, there's no one way to do this. We have to have 10, 15 different strategies all going at the same time to try to get to a better place. So I never want to oversimplify. But one strategy that's been really promising is one that J- Jalen was the architect of that we call the flip strategy. And Jalen, can you take a, a, a minute and just sort of talk about what, you know, what, where you learned that from, how do you think of it, and where we're at today with the flip strategy? Yeah, for, first
6: I just want to just quickly uh, just acknowledge the most high for even blessing this strategy and all of our partners, our MFS, CP4P, Aclavis, CRED, and, 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 and our flip peacekeepers that, that sacrifice much, including their very lives. Um, for the sake of peace. And so th- this strategy is just in a nutshell. Basically, we seek out the most violent communities. Then we have a three-part rigorous process for identifying hotspots that actually drive the violence across the, um, across those neighborhoods. The local police districts um, providing a list of their hotspots. We're getting outreach partners looking at hot spots based on street intel. But then we have corners research that are actually doing three different statistical analysis to help us Um, identify the hotspots that make the most sense. Then we're recruiting men and women. These are trusted insiders that are from those hotspots. These are individuals, they're not just closest to the violence, they're not just closest to those fires. These are individuals that in many cases they're the fire starters. We actually give them a specialized training that, that, that empowers them to actually use their, their credibility, their social networks, their influence to be able to do really just a few core functions. One is establish and maintain non-aggression agreements. So these are, this is a way for us to actually calm the tensions inside the group and group on group across other hotspots where there's rival groups. The, the, the second thing, what they're also doing, they're monitoring social media, they're mediating conflicts, and then there's just a real hyper presence across those hotspot areas. So we're talking about they have a presence at community events, they have a presence at vigils, at funerals, any any situation where violence can erupt. And just the last thing I'll share, corners uh, from Northwestern, the research based on um, the, the most recent um, midline report, what it showed is a couple of things. One, uh, uh, 88%, that's 90 out of 102 hot spots across the city right now, had zero shooting victimizations. These are areas where it's typically uncommon to see a shooting not happen every day or every week. Secondly, 64%, that's 9 out of 14 of the flip communities, actually saw a 54% drop in total shooting victimizations... Y'all going to drag this out. <laughs> so so and just a couple of points worth mentioning. Uh, overall, the flip communities, a 21 percent reduction in total shootings compared to city. The city as a whole saw 14 percent during that time. Seventy one non-aggression agreements. And, and a last point, 2018 to 2022, we actually saw one hundred and five flip peacekeepers transition into full time violence reduction work as professionals. I want to acknowledge Chantrell She's in the building right now.
1: Started flip, flipping, now she's a, a case manager. Beautiful. And, t- and take, 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 one more second. I don't want to name neighborhoods or jinx anything, but the neighborhood we visited recently. Yes. To talk about just so this gets visceral for folks who are trying to where this is not their world, so they get a little bit of understanding of, of what's yeah. that like. when We were talking to both sides.
6: Yeah. So, so we'll just say this. Um, so basically, Brighton Park One community uh, that we that we me and Arnie uh, recently visited, and um, you know they had had some upticks prior to us uh, launching. You got basically in that community, California is like the dividing line. You got a group of uh, Latino groups. I don't want to say their names because I know this thing recorded. And then east of it, you got you got another you got another group. We got. We got guys, I'm talking the right guys. I mean, these are the fire starters, these are the influencers on both sides, and they've been able to to actually negotiate a non-aggression agreement. So what, what, what they were saying, Arnie was quizzing them. You know what I mean? I had 100 questions for him. Can y'all peacefully coexist? The answer was no. You know what I mean? But what they said is, hey, I can't tell you, since we done started, the quote-unquote ops, they haven't been sliding over here, and we haven't been sliding over there. And and during the, the FLIP midline report, there was a, not one single person was shot or killed during the whole period.
4: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, that's great.
6: somebody
1: nice. And again, just talking about why all these different parts are so important, we started FLIP five 2018. years ago? Yeah, yep. 2018. Yeah, 2018. six years. With some, some, you know, high-risk strategy, didn't quite know we were doing a a small number of hot spots track the data relentlessly. Northwest has been a fantastic partner. And this is sort of how it's supposed to work, but you almost never see it where you have sort of private sector innovation, but then public sector comes into scale. And so starting at a million dollars five years ago. Chris, talk about what you've done to the state. It's just an absolute game changer that never would have happened without his leadership. And sort of why were you willing to put your reputation on the line and take that risk? So where are we at today? And how that? How do you move that through the state bureaucracy? Because that's probably not an easy thing. <laughs>
4: no, not at all. Um, <laughs> uh, so, the, I, my background. I mentioned a few parts of my background, but part of you know the you know the community organizing in me. Uh, And I've also been a violence street outreach worker. I've been a supervisor. I've been a program manager. I was so privileged to be one of the first partners in the community of Austin and West Garfield Park and the back of the yards that actually implemented the flip program. We saw between 2016 and 2019 in the community of Austin near a 50% reduction in shootings. And flip was an incredibly strong part of that. When I joined the Pritzker administration, as the assistant secretary, I immediately led the conversation in saying, listen, I've got some innovative ideas. Here's some stuff that I absolutely know is working. Uh, it took a while. It, and, you know, and and I appreciate the accolades, but I could not have done it without Ms. Latanya Law. Up. Here. Yeah, <clears throat> Ms., uh, Ms. Law is our senior policy advisor from my office. And, and Completely instrumental in making this happen and helped me navigate this bureaucracy and so we finally got there and um, I think right now if we if we add it up we 're looking at um, some some other innovative components around the flip, but it 's more than a thirty million dollar investment we 've made into this program so that you know, no, I think the, the only downside I had to the FLIP program was that because of the funding, it was just a summer program. Now with the, the aid of the state, and now that the state has been courageous enough to say, you know what, we'll put our stamp on something um, high risk, high reward. Uh, we're, you know, obviously and we're excited about our city-county partners, you know, you know, joining as well, our philanthropy, our business partners <coughs> thinking outside the box when it
1: comes to working with individuals who are trapped in a cycle of violence. But Much appreciated, just, Chris. Yeah, no, for okay. us, it's just huge. Yeah. Again, we started with a small number of hot spots, limited number of workers, sort of five months of the year, May to September. And now it's over 100 hot spots year-round. How many folks employed? Nine, five 511 right I, now. I, you know, 500 folks now, yep. part of the solution, still, yep. still one and a half feet in, in the street sometimes, but moving in the right direction. So it's remarkable to have, have a, a government partner, and, and again, wouldn't have happened without... Without Chris, who again, the lived experience is so critically important, Jim, so much of you know w- way I, I see it rightly or wrong is I really see the violence is not so much a crime issue but an economic issue. We you know cred stands for creating real economic destiny. We have to solve we have to solve poverty we have to work on poverty that 's the only way to get there that 's a longer term thing We have to stop the bullets from flying now that 's the the crisis space we work in, but the neighborhoods we know south and west sides Austin Angle, we can name North lawndale, we know all the neighborhoods that have had sort of Decades of disinvestment by the community, and we know the history of red line and segregation. And uh, you know, where you have healthy neighborhoods, you don't have gun violence. And so, longer term, while we work in the crisis space to reduce the violence now, how do we get the business community to think about reinvesting in neighborhoods where they've been, frankly, absent for two, three, four, five decades?
5: Uh, full agreement with that analysis, and just to add to it, Ernie. Uh, One of the things, as we were going through our listening and our studying, there's there's a lot of research on this, there are a lot of evidence-based outcomes, there's also a lot of participants, and one of the things we learned very early on as the task force is if someone starts a sentence, the problem is, and fills it in with one word, then they're really being pretty easy on themselves trying to, they're really oversimplifying what the problem is, you know, because people will say guns, schools, economy, health care, you know, courts, you know, and, and the answer is everybody's partially right but not addressing the issue holistically and over time. So the task force work that is uh, trying to bring the business community into it has some elements of um, what, what we want to do that are immediate. And it's immediate things like supporting the violence interruption, supporting uh, the, the nonprofits that are in the neighborhoods. But then those people need to do something other than not shoot someone else. Absolutely. They need a place to live. They need a job. They need a place to shop. And so that is part of what needs to be built out. And then the neighborhoods themselves need streets and schools and stores and hospitals. And so we are working on a blueprint that we want to uh, uh, help implement in collaboration with with the interests represented here and and others to have the intervention, the triage, at the immediate level, uh, because no point in trying to build a lasting peace at the, you know, it's still a hot war, but then build from that employment and infrastructure and jobs in the community, and that is very much part of the blueprint continuum uh, that, that we want to uh, be part of and help advocate. Got
1: it. And we're downtown, and you know the violence has been for, for a long time really, really concentrated on the south and west sides. It's still there, but for better or worse violence to seep downtown as well and um, I don't love that but I do love that we're sort of all in it together now it's, it's touching everybody and, and Jalen for folks who live downtown and most fo- many folks here work downtown um, you and said Jason and others have spent a, a bunch of time with the, with the young folks and have a, have a sense of what, what we need to do differently there and if you could just give, give the audience a, a sort of how we're thinking about the next steps that have to happen again the state's hugely important in, in setting this up as well for sure thanks arnie so
6: so i think just just for context really quickly i mean i see the violence downtown really in three different buckets you have the teen trends you have uh, opportunistic crimes like your robberies your carjackings and then you have uh, what i say uh high-risk individuals that visit other areas but they bring their street baggage with them so oftentimes they get they, they may have a target on them in a neighborhood. They go downtown thinking they may be safer. They might get spotted down there, shot or killed, or they get in conflicts. And guess what? They respond to, to the conflicts the same way they do back in the neighborhood with violence. And so um, what, what we're seeing 2019 and 2022, shout out to said, shout out to Jason and others um, and our other partners uh, had a chance to like deploy some teams um, kind of under the radar. Um, responding to different, um, different tr- like teen trends, um, civil unrest, especially in 2020, and even some mass shootings. And, and what we learned, I think the most important realization is that law enforcement plays a vital role there, but you, you have to have some non-policing community violence intervention approaches down there. Otherwise, we're leaving our youth to be overtaken by violent victimization and arrest. And so um, the, what we're looking at as a strategy, and a lot of this was trial and error over time, um, in partnership with MFS, our CP4P partners, what we're looking at is actually, um, and, and, and here's one important thing. If you look at, there's a lot of body of evidence, a growing body of evidence, you know, crime lab, you got you got um, corners doing research, national research on CVI type of strategies. And the, 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 the main takeaways is that they're good at, engage in highest risk and connecting them with services that they need and then they're good at reducing violent victimization and arrest so so clearly this type of approach has a um, has some value in this space but it's not the only solution i think there's two things there's short and longer term um, steps that make sense the longer term is obviously we need sus adequate and sustained investments in our black and brown impacted communities. That's the, 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 the safer black and brown impacted communities we have, the safer your downtown's going to be. That's just the reality. But the shorter term stuff is we have to have an ability to actually build a team, men, women, black, Latino, that come from those impacted communities where the individuals are going downtown from giving them a specialized training and then being able to actually deploy them, you know, at a moment's notice, whether it's teen trends, whether it's civil unrest, whether it's mass shootings, being able to do that in, in a way that we can actually uh, build relationships, reduce vi- violent victim of victimization and arrest and actually connect those highest risk youth and others to local resources back in the neighborhoods at their front, whether it's Back to to Our Future, whether it's Street Outreach, whether it's other youth groups. We have to have that capacity to do that. The last beautiful piece about that is having a team set up this way, we're not pulling from our already – you know, uh, skeletal crews in our neighborhoods. We're actually adding manpower. And in the off deployments, the same specialized team will be extra manpower for those teams. And so a city like Chicago with a violence problem as large as as it is, we actually have to have the capacity to have crisis response that's non-police, non-policing crisis response. Um, And this is part of a functioning, robust, healthy public health system.
1: And just, just to be very, very concrete with Jalen, what we've done the past couple years is when we try and be a good partner with the police, when they call in their problems, then Jalen deploys our teams from the south and west sides. We're literally pulling people out of North Lawndale and out of Rosen to go work downtown. That makes no sense. And so with Chris's help and Chris's funding to build a team that's dedicated to downtown from all the different communities so we know all the young people or as many as we can coming downtown against a chance to do something very different that wouldn't be possible without uh, Chris's help last question for each and then we'll just open it up to the audience um, five years from now where do you want the city to be what's your what's your goal what's your dream in terms of violence reduction so five years from
4: now we are going to be in parity with New York and Los Angeles uh, if not better <laughs> every every big city is going to have its issues this level of coordination, uh, within my office, we have the intergovernmental working group, so we've got ICJA, my office, the city county. Folks are working together in a way that we've never done before. CVI, we're now sitting at the table with the civic community. We're sitting, right, so like the community is finally at the table. Let's do better at that, uh, and I think we're going to get to those numbers where fewer mothers are burying their children.
5: Jim? Um, so... I, I'm going to share that goal but expand on it a little bit in the following sense first of all it's different histories but New York and Los Angeles stand as evidence that this is achievable
2: Yes. Yeah.
5: Yeah. Um, and one thing we learned Arnie really talking to you in uh, Chicago Crime Lab achievable from similar histories but, but they got there and for us that would require an 80% reduction in shootings yeah. to yeah. be at that level just to scale the magnitude of the problem. That's right. So an ambitious but important goal that we share. And the second thing I'd like to say that would be a great goal to be um, five years hence is that we're all working together much better. Yeah, Yeah. that's Uh, huge. A lot of people are working. A lot of people are well-intended. But the collaboration and the shared plan have been absent, and we really need to improve on that. Thank you. Yeah, for sure.
6: Yeah, so two quick things. I mean, I think along the the way on this five-year timeline, Arnie talks about this a lot. Um, The city actually falling below 400 homicides. We haven't seen that since 1965, so that's a critical milestone for the city. And then as we get to to Chris's goal of being on parity with New York and L.A., and and even better, um, I think the, the, the thing is our communities actually feeling safer. Arnie talks about this a lot. A lot of times we see a 10 or 15 or a 20% reduction until we actually really cut the homicides and the non-fatal shootings in half. A lot of our community um, residents are not going
1: to actually fill it. Yeah, that's right. Thank you. Do you have a mic or do you want to call on folks? Or how do you want to do this? No,
0: we've got a couple pre-submitted. You want to you read them? I'll do that for you. And, uh... This is a new one here. We'll start with one that was pre-submitted, and I know we're a little bit over. If anyone does need to leave, there's just so much to keep, keep, keep talking keep, keep, about here, so we won't quick. be offended if you have to sneak out. Um, but hopefully we've got time for two more here. Um, uh, Albertani asked uh, from the, the Carnegie Foundation for the Advancement of Teaching, how do you see the relationship between students in schools, K through 12, and the challenges of improving public safety? relationship between students and schools, and the challenges of improving public safety. I'll
1: I'll, I'll tell you quickly, and we we learn by doing, so trying to work very, very closely with CPS and Jadine Chow, who leads their safety and security efforts, is fantastic. She and Leo Smith from our team worked really hard to create a choose-to-change program to work with the most at risk. But uh, they were asking me to meet with the the, the parents of of kids after they had been killed, and I'm, I'm Happy to, not happy to do that. I do that. But what I asked is can can they start having us meet with those young men and women before they 're dead and uh, meeting with some of those families i don 't it 's obviously after the fact, but it, hearing their stories, it was almost inevitable tragically that they were going to end up dead. It was no, there was no surprise there and so this is we learned by doing this, this is very very you know as we speak, but a um, young man from the west side who was Super high risk. Who's now in our program? Young man from the south side who was uh, terrorizing stuff and it was weird. We went to his home and I, I, he was so small. I thought he was his younger brother. And it's just what guns do. He's he's 110 pounds. He's you know soaking wet. He's lucky, but unfortunately he was creating a lot of a lot of mayhem. So he's in our program. There's another young man who we candidly flew him to Puerto Rico. To be with family because he was had price price on his head, and so we're trying to get better at getting to these kids um, as fast as we can
0: great uh, Paul Colgan uh gun safety and gun ownership has been in the news a lot lately, um, from strategic consulting or strategist consulting. How can we bring together leaders from both sides of the gun issue to focus on practical gun safety and ownership solutions?
5: You go. Mm, Go ahead. (laughs) um, so uh, I actually would be deferring to everybody else up here on the, on the, on the functional answer to that question. It's a vexing problem, and, and it, it clearly is quite bad here in the Midwest. Uh, we have made some progress occasionally, uh, and so we just got to keep leaning in there. But to be perfectly blunt, my feeling is we aren't going to solve this by um, uh, constricting the availability of firearms. We've got to solve it otherwise because that's just never going to get far enough to actually make us safe.
4: I can also add to that I appreciate that answer as well. Um, there's two different conversations happening around gun policy in Illinois. There's the advocacy side, which you typically see affluent um, white women and communities pushing for this legislation. Then you've got the other side of the conversation happening where you're seeing black and brown women, moms, bearing children. It's the same conversation. And in some parts where we're getting really good and strong, we're making those, we're not making, but we're bringing those two entities Mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. There's a power when you bring those moms, those families, those dads, those caregivers together and they're advocating uh, on united front. And so I think that's going to be another um, important strategy component to that work.
6: If if I can just add, I mean, I think... uh like, looking at this issue narrowly, guns, incarceration, um, is really an archaic way of looking at things. I mean, if you look at, the U.S. leads the globe um, for, for the most incarcerations. And the U.S. is not on any list of the safest countries. And so the, the reality there, it, it, it really doesn't matter where you sit racially, morally, financially, strategically, what we're talking about here is what makes sense.
0: Great, and this this is also mixing a little bit of politics. Um, Adam Greenberg from the Brady campaign to end gun violence. What can the Johnson, incoming Johnson administration do to help achieve that 80% violence reduction goal?
4: Uh, from the government standpoint, I think the incoming administration is doing everything they can. Um, we are currently going to be meeting with them after uh, this meeting at 2 o'clock, I'm just talking about some of our... You know our investments in the city of Chicago. Uh, we are encouraged by the momentum from that administration, and so um, I'm feeling hopeful and, and and excited, like many of you may feel uh, about what's coming.
1: Just qu- quickly add that obviously we all want to do everything we can to help the current administration the new incoming administration be successful. We can't just sit back and expect them to solve this. And so we all have to keep working together. We have to be good partners, and they have an important role to play, but by no means can, can he and his team do this by themselves. So we all got to stay at the table. That's right. Yeah.
0: So I think we should end on that note. I, the, the last question I was going to ask was that Elizabeth Stovall asked, uh, what are we not doing enough of in Chicago to prevent violence? Um, we'd Jim i you, you every one of you mentioning how we 've all come together, I think it's just incredible this isn 't what a room of leaders who are dedicated, who have historically been involved and who are the future leaders um, and and let 's do more of this as far as i 'm concerned. Uh, Arnie, I'll give you the last word. If, if there's anything more that you'd like to add to that, um, thank you all for what you all have done and been doing. And maybe we could leave a little bit of an action item, right, because we don't want to leave here move forward, continue this discussion. Go ahead. I, I think you've got
6: something. I, good. I, I'm sorry. Can I just quickly, uh, if, if you don't mind, like all those that's in this space that's actually doing work on the front lines, if, if we could just have you stand and just acknowledge the yeah. work that you all are doing.
0: Thank you all. And, and Jackie was going to come up here. Jackie, if you, if you want to come up, we're going to present uh, each, of our, uh, each of our panels at a, a year-long membership. Because like I said, there's more to come. We're going to have some more discussions. And uh, we'd like to hear all your ideas for all these topics that we'd like to tackle more of and keep Chicago moving in, in the right direction. So before we uh, close out here, Jackie, anything else that you would like to mention?
2: Um, I'm going to take a page from Dan's book and just say um, more to come. Uh, Having these discussions is so important. And I was out in the vestibule speaking with the police officers. Um, I think the more we have these discussions, the more that Arnie's great work and everyone else in the room's work is being done, along with all of the not-for-profits from MacArthur to Joyce to Civic Committee, everybody being involved is why we're here right Dan? so let us be the facilitator we're happy to do that and we can figure it out if it's a breakfast meeting where we have round tables whatever we're here so more to come okay and
5: thank you all enjoy the rest of your day thanks for coming back to city club